warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. It's the Real Britannia podcast, the very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. Scott with you for the next hour or so. Joining me, my dear friend, my co-host Stephen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, mate. It seems a bit more crowded in there than usual. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to hover about too much at the beginning of the show talking about lockdowns and you know weather like we normally do. We've got a lot to talk about today. We've got somebody here becoming a bit of a regular guest um i think we may have to clip his wings a little bit mate he's getting far too comfortable in our company well it wasn't really him that was occupying the space it's it's his pal of notes <laughs> <laughs> there you go seriously pleasure to welcome back the host of the glass onion on john lennon podcast anthony good afternoon mate. hello how you doing very well no hanging about with this one today no, no niceties mm. come on let's let's talk this through it's steven's choice of movie okay First time watch in 20 plus years for you, Anthony, I believe. Yeah, I was trying to work out. I think it was something like the early 90s, so it's nearly 30 years, amazingly. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Second time. You haven't been sort of inducted into the cult of with now, as you put it, I think, on the Twitter yesterday. Then. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, you know, uh, there have been quotes going around that I've been aware of over the years. So. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't, we'll get to this, but it wasn't quite the film I was expecting, I must say. Okay. Stephen, you're quite familiar with it? Yes, I am, yeah. It's not necessarily, you know, I'm not in the camp where um, I'm obsessive about it, like um, some of the, the cult followers of it, but certainly it's a film that I've um, watched an, uh, any number of times and, um, you know, do generally uh, in, enjoy every time. Yeah. Now, we mentioned the quotes, and I don't want to get bogged down with an episode of this podcast where we just throw the quotes at each other, although I think we may do. You know, it's, there's going to be a few that we're going to laugh at together over the next hour or so. Yep. What I'm going to do, we're going to play a little game, okay? You guys are totally unprepared for this. All I've done is ask you two to grab a pen and a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Listeners, if you want to get to the review, skip forward about 10 minutes, but we're going to try something a little bit different, just in the warm-up, okay? Now, as you know, With Now and I is often referred to as a cult movie, and we, we, we sort of take that term for granted, don't we? What's, what, what is it? It's a label that's thrown about quite easily. Mm. I looked it up. I looked up the definition of cult movie, cult film, and according to that most reliable of internet sources, Wikipedia, a cult movie is defined as follows. Ready? Also commonly referred to as a cult classic is a film that has acquired a cult following. Yeah, okay. Cult <laughs> films are <laughs> cult films are known for their dedicated, passionate fan base, which forms an elaborate subculture that engulge that engage that engage in repeated viewings, quoting dialogue and audience participation. Yes. Okay. 
So keep those three factors in mind, okay? Repeated viewings, quoting dialogue, audience participation. This certainly fits in that category. We can all agree on that, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yep. I think it's one of the most quotable British movies out there. We've already said that. So going back to that Wikipedia definition of cult, repeated viewings, quoting dialogue, audience participation. Just for fun, I've got here what Rolling Stone magazine think are the top 25 cult movies of all time. Basically, they asked their readers back in 2014 to name their favourite cult movie, okay? Now, I'm really putting you on the spot here, guys. I want you both to jot down as many cult movies as you can that possibly fit that definition of, you know, quotable audience participation, that sort of thing, okay? And we'll see if Rolling Stone magazine agrees with you or disagrees with you. It'll be interesting to see not only your answers, but theirs as well, what people think a cult movie actually is. So, while you two are earning your keep... I'll nip off to make a cup of tea. I've put together a little montage of the quotes from With Now with a little bit of music as well. Listeners, beware. If you haven't seen the movie, some of the language used here is, shall we say, a little bit fruity. Certainly one particular quote that people throw about quite often. Um, It's a lot more than fruity, to be honest. Good luck, chaps. (laughs) We'll see you in a couple of minutes. I want you just to jot down as many what you think are the top 25 cult movies. I'll see you after this. Balls. We want the finest wines available to humanity. We want them here and we want them now. What fucker said that? Don't threaten me with a dead fish. How dare you? Monty, you terrible cunt! We've gone on holiday by mistake. Pair of quadruple whiskies and another pair of pints, please. As a youth, I used to weep in butcher shop. Why has my head gone numb? Very, very foolish words, mate. There is, you will agree, certain je ne sais quoi, un so very special about a firm young carrot. Mm, excuse me. Okay, guys. Sorry to put you on the spot with that. Now, Anthony, Anthony, how many have you got? Uh, four. four. One, one. One's just so bad. Probably is it dubious, three, is it? Okay. Yeah. Stephen, how many do you think? You know, you're going to bring to the table. Yeah. Uh, well, not including just as a as a catch-all, which covers a number of films, which is the Python films. Um, okay. I've got seven. Seven. Okay. As you've got slightly more than Anthony, can you give us your first one, please, mate? Uh, the first one is Rocky Horror. Rocky oh, Horror. Damn, Did you not get that? Yeah. Okay, that on the Rolling Stone list. 
That's one of my three gone now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you, you did have it. Okay, I did have it. Yeah, yeah. yeah according to readers, the Rolling Stone, you know, th- that is the ultimate, isn't it? Come on, it is the one mm. that you know epitomizes cult movie with regards to midnight movie screenings, dressing up, audience participation. Yeah, massive Ooh. cult following. Would you say like cult films are also ones that probably the critics don't necessarily think are that amazing? That's why they get this limited. I think a lot of them start off not being popular and then they find an audience yeah yeah Yeah. Mm. um with with now it didn't find its audience till it came out on video yeah that happens with a lot of movies that's going to be a common theme yeah this will be a common theme as we go along Anthony, give us one of yours and we'll see if steven's got it on his list as well um i'm gonna go this is spinal tap is number three quotable lines number three that's on my list yeah yep number three rob reiner yeah Uh, Stephen, um, I would say um, Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers is on the list at number fifteen. Anthony, um, I would say either Holy Grail or Life of Brian because I don't. I, I know Monty Python were popular, but I don't think they were massive box office smashes. Uh, Life of Brian. Oh, Holy Grail's at number Holy seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, you just said the whole entire Monty Python catalogue, movie catalogue, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's, it's the quote thing, isn't it? I think, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's the quote thing, very, very quotable. Same as as with now. Okay, who's next, Stephen? It's your turn, I believe. Um, bit of a pun to it. Princess Bride. Princess Bride is on there. Again, have you seen that, Anthony? No, I don't think I have, actually. I've seen no. it once, and I, I, I was a kid at the time when it came out, so I treated it as a kid's movie. But it gets screened at a lot of sort of like these, these cult movie screenings, doesn't it, Stephen? It's it's certainly yeah. got this little reputation now. You know, I mean, the only line I think I know is, I'm Inigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepare to die, I think is the big one, isn't it? And, and Peter is Cook. Which is a meme, yeah, which is a yeah. meme sort of thing that's been And Peter Cook with yeah. Mowage, yes. Um, excellent, Princess Bride. Who's next? Um, Anthony. Do me? Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a long shot. Maybe Train Spotting. Train Spotting is not on there. Oh, not on this I'll list. Give you my favourite but... line, anyway. Go on. <laughs> I won't do the accent. He goes to his dealer and he says, "Would sir care for a starter, some garlic bread?" <laughs> no, I'll just go directly to the intravenous injection of hard drugs, please. <laughs> See, that would anyway. po- that would possibly make any other list. It's not on this one at the moment. Yeah, I was, can that, see... was that popular? Oh, yeah, I suppose it was. Massive. Wasn't it? it was massive. Yeah, because um, they'd made Shallow Grave, hadn't they already? Yeah. The, the marketing for that. I was oh, I was yeah. working in the video stores at the time, and it was just everywhere. And it was just people in in the build up to the release of the video. Every single day. Yeah. When's it coming out? When's it coming out? You know. No, I, I wasn't sure whether it was one of those ones that became popular between the cinema and the video, kind of like Shawshank. No, you know, I didn't th- do great business and mm. then suddenly exploded. You yeah, know? I think that yeah. was popular straight off the bat. That one, which is probably why right. it's not quite considered a cult. Yeah. Although there is yeah. one movie on here that was massive at the cinema. So, Stephen, your turn. Um, I would say um, Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, it's not on there. Um, bearing in mind though, how old is Napoleon Dynamite now? Because this this poll was done, this poll was done two thousand and fourteen. Right. I think Napoleon Dynamite yeah. is probably a little bit older than that, isn't it? So it, I, a little bit. Mm, but, um, again, it might be one as I mean, we say that's got its cult status 
Yeah, in I mean, that, and that's why I didn't go for um, Scott Pilgrim as well, because I felt that mm. was in the same category, go, and yeah. but a bit, yeah. a bit newer, maybe. Anthony, have you got any more? I mean, I'm not confident in this, but Reservoir Dogs... Reservoir Dogs is not on there. But I'll tell you what is. I'll tell you what is, which sort of doesn't um, fit the criteria, Tarantino-wise. Pulp Fiction's on there. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, but that was massive. Though. That was massive. I suppose quotable, li- yeah, yeah. quotable lines, I yeah. suppose, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Okay, Stephen, what's, what's your last few that you've got jotted down, mate? And I'll read out the rest of the list very quickly. Uh, Big Lebowski is, is the on there. One oh, of course, yeah. It's up yes, there at number two. Um the funniest thing about this, what Rolling Stones say in their their little sort of notes after each one, it didn't do very well with critics when it first came out. Now listen to this: Gene Siskel, okay, Roger Ebert's partner, mm. said at the time, Kingpin was a much funnier film set in the world of bowling, <laughs> giving it a thumbs down. The Jeff Bridges character wasn't worth my time. There's no heart to him. History has proven Gene Siskel wrong, very, very, very wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, the dude abides, you see. The dude abides, yes. So that's at number two after Rocky Horror. Any more, Stephen? You think maybe on there? I don't. Maybe um, Dazed and Confused. But... Number thirteen. Well done. Oh, yes, yes, Dazed and Confused. I'm trying to think of student films. Yeah, that's that's always <laughs> that's, a good route to go down. Essentially, what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah always yeah, a good yeah. route um, to go down. Shall I read these out to you? Put you out of your misery. Okay. Well, go. I'll, I'll go in reverse order. Number 25, Army of Darkness, which is Evil oh, yes. Dead 3, 4, 3, can't remember, is it 4? The oh, Evil Dead one, yeah. where he goes back in time anyway, at number 25. Yeah. With Now is at 24. Oh, Princess, very low. Yeah, <laughs> Princess Bride at 23. Repo, the genetic opera. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it, but fully aware of it. One of my daughter's favourite films when she was a teenager. There's a massive one, guys. Number 21, The Room. Tommy Wiseau. I haven't seen it. Tommy Wiseau, yeah. So bad, it's good. 20, Hedwig and the Agri Itch. I think Morris covered that recently on Love That Album, or no on See Here, possibly. All right. Clerks, Kevin Smith, 19. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Maybe maybe that other one, uh, oh, shit. No, Kevin Smith one, it. yeah. There's, there's. You'd think there'd be a few other Kevin Smiths on there, but Clerks is on there. I'm thinking of one that's got Vince Vaughn in it. Uh, Not chasing the guys that go to Vegas. What's that one called? Oh. Slackers. Black is it Slackers? Slackers? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Now this one incredibly wasn't a hit, as we know, at the time, 1982. It was released the same day as the Thing. Blade Runner is on the oh, list. Oh yeah. Um, Holy Grail at 17 16 Fight Club oh of course yeah yeah mm. 15 The Blues it's, Brothers mm-hmm. it's so simple when someone's reading the list now, yeah I, I really did put you guys on the spot and I do apologise but <laughs> I wanted to give us a sort of an idea of, of what people generally think a cult movie is and why With Now was included in this very bizarre sort of genre Blues Brothers at 15 14 The Warriors Swingers, it was Swingers Swingers, that's it Yes, yes, yes Dazed and Confused, as you said, mate, at number 12 Repo Man uh, Sorry, uh, Dazed and Confused 13, Repo Man at 12 Uh, Alex Cox, yeah How about this at 11, Eraserhead Oh yeah, of course And looking at this list, do you guys remember Movie Drone? On Sunday evenings All of this lot, I'm pretty sure Would have been shown on Movie Drone Oh, that was so seminal It was Alex Cox and then it was was Mark, Mark Cousins, Mark did Cousins. It for a while, yeah. 
great, oh, that was, that great was really Sunday night. I wouldn't have known anything about any of those until without that series. Yeah. So, yeah. Amazing. Donnie Darko's at 10. Mm. Yeah. Phantom of the Paradise at 9, which I have seen. is quite fun, actually, Phantom of the Paradise. Brian De Palma, rock opera, based on, obviously, Phantom of the Paradise. I don't think opera. I've seen it. Very good. No, I haven't seen Very it. good. Uh, the, the first Evil Dead is at number 8. How about this one, number 7? The Wall, Pink Floyd. Mm. Oh, I mean, I'm a big fan of that mm. film, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, this doesn't film. fit those three sort of like criteria that I said about audience participation and dressing up and you know fan bases and all that lot. But I suppose, yeah, reciting the script would be more reciting the lyrics, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's I mean, not a lot of script in that film. Really, according yeah. to Rolling Stone magazine, critics were impressed, but it took audiences a little while to catch on. Though it soon mm. became a favourite of stoned high school kids all across America, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> How about this one at number six, Harold and Maud? Oh yeah, oh, I just yeah. listened to a review of that recently. Not from the Stinking yeah. Paws, was it? No, it was Movie House Memories. It's oh, quite good. Stinking Paws do a much better review. Go back oh, he did it. Okay, five Clockwork Orange. Oh yeah, I guess because that was banned. Perhaps that, that yeah. had that delayed thing. Yeah, yeah, it had that air of mystery, didn't it? To yeah. it not being available. Pulp Fiction at four, which I say surprises me because it was a massive hit. Yeah. Um, won the Palm Door, didn't it, for God's sake. So, yeah. Spinal Tap at three, Big Lebowski at two, and of course, Rocky Horror at number one. All right. Thanks for doing that, guys. Just a little bit of fun to try and work out what actually a cult movie is. Yeah. Uh, we're still none the wiser, I think. <laughs> mm. Just go to a student house and go through the DVD collection. And probably there. all no. of those would be on there. <laughs> Yeah, because there's, there's some other things that could be in there, you know, that that would fit that definition that Anthony's mm. just given. I mean, you know, things like Betty Blue and stuff like that. Yeah, that you, Zoolander as well. Zoolander, yeah. Yeah. yeah, not quite in the same category as Betty Blue, but yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, open for debate. I mean, that that list is seven years old, six, seven years old now. And quite rightly, Stephen, you've sort of mentioned Napoleon Dynamite and some of them Wes Anderson stuff, you know, would probably be and, on there now. Um, and like it, like it or not, I mean, I, I, I do like it. Um, but um, some of the, the Simon Pegg stuff, you know, um, Shaun of the Dead, yeah. Shaun of the Dead yeah. and stuff. There's quotes, yeah. you know, that are bound out of, you know, it's quotable it's, and and. And people do go to screenings dressed up at times, and yep. it's you know it's obviously on on ITV two every evening. That's <laughs> <true>. I wonder <laughs> if uh, certain like British films might become cult films in America because they don't get the big audience, and maybe they don't get it. Well, don't get the humour. I think Withnil is an example of that, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you think in... that was popular in America? Was it Withnil? It, it had its um, sort of really second test screening. Second life. Um, viewing um, in America after its um, rather rather um, difficult first screening in in, <laughs> in London, which uh, we're, which uh, we um, we all are aware of, um, wasn't particularly good because it was in, in front of people who didn't speak English. Yes, but yes, there there's screened in America and the the silence for the first like ten minutes, and then people were were. <laughs> were into it then and there was there was people uh, apparently two um, teenage girls who were apparently laughing so much they were standing up and almost being sick with the amount of laughter they were wow. going right. I've got so, a great Dennis um, O'Brien quote as well yeah. excellent handmade stuff talk, yeah. talking to that right there's only two British movies on that list 
Withnail and Holy Grail, both handmade films. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Thanks for doing that. But just a bit of fun before we do the review. I've got rid of all the quotes now, right at the beginning <laughs> of the show, so we don't spend the rest of the you know, the show yeah. spouting out lines from the movie, although I'm sure we will, as I say. So it's back to nineteen eighty seven. It's time to roll that Camberwell carrot you always promised yourself, Anthony. It's <laughs> Withnail and I will be back after this. <laughs> <laughs> To a delightful weekend in the country. You are cordially invited to spend a carefree weekend in the English countryside. Bask in the warm sunshine. We've gone on holiday by mistake. Enjoy the rustic pleasure of country living. It'll be so cold in here. Like Greenland in here. Wants to get down there and have sex with those cows. Partake of fine, varietal wine. Oh, drunk. I assure you I'm not, officer. I've only had a few ales. Get in the back of the van! Take lunch at a charming pub. We want the finest wines available to humanity. We want them here, and we want them now. Fraternize with cheery locals. I don't care where you come from. Pons! Experience culinary pleasures. I can make it die. There is, you will agree, Certain je ne sais quoi about a firm young carrot. Fish in the region streams. Don't threaten me with a dead fish. Withnil and I, a trip worth taking. What absolute twaddle. Withnil and I, released in the UK on the 12th of February 1988. Written and directed by Bruce Robinson, starring Richard E. Grant, Paul McGann, Richard Griffiths and Ralph Brown. And Michael Elphick also pops up as well somewhere along the way. Stephen, it's your choice today, mate, so could you kindly read out the synopsis for us, please? In 1969, two employed actor, unemployed actors drown their frustrations in booze, pills and lighter fluid. To escape their squalor, they decide to take a break in the country in Uncle Monty's holiday home. Soon they realise they are on holiday by mistake when they face violent downpours less than hospitable locals, empty cupboards, and the prospect of burglary. <laughs> Where do we start, chaps? It's, yeah, it's a, it's a, <laughs> who knows? I, you're, the, you're the host, so you've got to make some well, sense of it. Well, it's a massive movie, cult-wise. You know, I never fell into that cult thing. Anthony, you've only seen it once. How old were you guys when this came out? I was probably the perfect age. I was 19. Yeah, I, I was as... As well, I've seen it twice now, but I had only seen it once. Mm. Yeah, I worked out it was about yeah nineteen probably as well. Okay. Stu- um, student situation, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> surprisingly enough. Yeah, I was um, thirteen. Yeah, a little bit younger. So twelve. 12. <laughs> it wasn't designed to to be this cult movie, from what I can gather. It was just, it was based on a novel, wasn't it? Originally, it was a novel. Mm. It's it's semi autobiographical um, from the um, director. Yeah. Who himself is a you know was an actor who uh, didn't yeah it's had some some notable um, performances you know or at least films he was in and stuff but um, yeah it, the writing was where he, he has excelled and this is um, based upon partly upon his life in the sixties and some people he knew basically there's a guy called yeah. Vivian McCarroll that's right yeah, yeah. flatmates in the sixties and 
Robinson has basically said that, you know, with now is, is these two. It is these two characters. He had a friend called into this. I'm just reading this out, guys. Called Colin Bacon, who wrote a book about McCarroll, who died of throat cancer in 1995. And Robinson believed that drinking lighter fluid in real life possibly led to the disease. <laughs> so oh there's God. a lot of this, you know, a lot of truth embedded. The thing, the thing I heard about this Vivian guy is that, like with now, he would say, if someone wrote something, he'd say, if I was a writer, I'd do it much better than that. <laughs> it was always like, if, you know, and he never did anything. Like, <laughs> that's what I yeah. heard. Anyway. It was yeah. Every, every, you know, yeah, every endeavor, he could have done it better if he decided to do yeah. it, but he didn't decide to do it. So exactly. therefore, um, it wasn't proved that he couldn't. But And it wasn't yeah. just artistic endeavors. It was the, you know, I can dr- drink more than you. I can take more drugs than you. I can... Mm. But they probably these kind of people. They have their niche, which is basically drinking and high tolerance for alcohol and drugs. That's their niche. <laughs> Everything else, oh, I don't actually need to write anything or I'm doing any acting. And this is set in 1969, isn't it? 16, very late 60s. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah because um, there's actually a quote in it that I was wanting to to reference with regards to to that. Mm-hmm. The, um, the the Danny character, yep. who, uh, yeah, is, is one of the. The, the side characters, one of the supporting characters. Um, got to do the voice though, Stephen. Oh, I don't know if I can, really. <laughs> he says, oh, you're, you're hanging on to a rising balloon. You're presented with a difficult decision. Let go before it's too late or hang on and keep getting higher, posing the question, how long can you keep a grip of the rope? They're selling hippie wigs in Woolworths, man. The decade, uh, the greatest decade in hist- history of mankind is over. And as presuming Ed here has so consistently pointed out, we have failed to paint it black. Absolutely. And um, obviously, with Scott being very open, you know, with his appreciation of, of the 1960s, this, Ooh, is, yes. this is really the, you know, the, the death of that. That marvellous decade. Yeah. Yeah, a decade. Yeah. I was surprised. Well, and I wasn't surprised, but I, I would say that 1969 was not necessarily the end of the 60s. Obviously, it's the end of the decade. But do you know what I mean? I think. The oh, 60s did, dream did. possibly yeah. lasts a bit longer. Although, having said that, we were talking earlier, Altamont, uh, which, which for December. anyone who doesn't know, mm. was this was this terrible concert of the Rolling Stones, which had the Hell's Angels as, as the security, which ended in tragedy. That happened to be December 69, yes. which is almost too perfect in the, in the worst possible way. So, I could see that, but yeah. I think they're really they're really giving 69 as the end of the 60s. You know what I mean? The, the swinging 60s. Yeah, there's an argument that the 60s didn't really start in 1960. Um, oh, absolutely. As you yeah. said, the influences spilled over into the um, into the 70s. But then there's also some people who define what is is thought of as being that the 60s and and everything yeah. has been quite a you know only a, a narrow part of the decade anyway. Absolutely. But um, obviously Scott's the expert on, on the whole, whole yeah, thing. Yeah, it depends. Well, I wasn't alive then, so I don't know. <laughs> it depends. Well, we've, you. We, yeah, I mean, we've covered it quite a bit on my show, actually. I mean, definitely the early part of the 60s was really, I would say it was the 50s, you know, just continuation. I think it's about 65 is about the earliest, you could say, that the swinging 60s. Swinging I, I 60s. I actually though, had yeah. my mother on my show. <laughs> And we came up with a show talking about how boring the 60s was if yeah. you weren't in London or San Francisco and you didn't have lots of money. Oh, you know, it, it wasn't all Carnaby Street, mate. Kind of no, went. it wasn't all Carnaby Street. You know, it was, yeah. it was, you know, a few years post-rationing, you know, was still going mm. on and the permissive society didn't rear its ugly head till about 61, 62 with the Lady Chatterley trial and all that sort of, you know, malarkey going on. Yeah. And, and you talk to people 
you know, that lived through it. And then they're saying, well, no, it wasn't all Carnaby Street and, and Apple Records and, and, you know, people with floppy hats and, and paisley pants. It wasn't. It was, it was, yeah, yeah. And, and, and places, you know, out in the provinces where, where I am, I mean, the 60s didn't really get here until the late 70s. So, <laughs> um, and, you know, if you're in Norfolk, you're still waiting for still it. Still waiting for now. it. But um, it's... Um, it's it certainly is that you know that like you said if you if you're at the epicenter of this whole swinging movement which is why there's yeah. you know, there are the the films from part you know late end of the era itself and also um harking back to it looking back and and what's what's the one with with um with redgrave in it we're going on a it was on, the, on Talking Pictures TV the other week, where the you know the the two girls turn up in London and they're, they're basically smashing time, smashing time. That's yeah. it. Mm. And yeah. basically, that that was the situation. People, you know, if they wanted to experience this culture that was his scene from now as being the sixties, you had to be, yeah. you had to travel into it and basically move into it because it wasn't happening elsewhere. And, and elsewhere, it was more. Spring and part wine, really. Yeah. Well, um, well, David Bailey, you know, the famous photographer, mm. he, he was on uh, Desert Island Discs, and, and the host said, Oh, what about the 60s? And he said, Well, it only happened to about 200 people. Yes. And funnily enough, all the clubs that the Beatles used to go to, the Ad Lib, the Bag of Nails, Scotch and St. James, they were all exclusive. You couldn't get in there unless you were Michael Caine or one of the Beatles or the Stones, <laughs> you know? True. So there's always a lot of irony involved with this. You know, also the 60s is, is sort of seen as this very kind of real decade where everybody was being natural but it was also the rise of advertising and the rise of image so you know nothing's nothing simple is it yeah. <laughs> which is culture. which is where the 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 pushback in the 70s with punk where it, it did become yes yeah. that it was it was the do-it-yourself aspect and and that's that's the offset between the, the two um but yeah the sick this is this being a a, a depiction of the 60s in, in a way i mean it shows that it wasn't glamorous the necessarily the the drink and, and drugs and that lifestyle there were some that had a great old time with it and there were some that um basically it was a period of self-destruct really i think in fairness i mean i'm, I'm a musician i would say if i if you're around the 60s there was probably i mean you can argue both because nowadays it, you've got more chance of being discovered in that you're you could just put a video on the internet without going anywhere and it could be seen by somebody you know mm. but in another way now there's so many bands that if you try and do the traditional route of going out and hoping that someone comes to one of your gigs you know it's very very difficult i would argue that it was a bit more innocent in those days perhaps so you know i mean <laughs> every, every argument you could make has a contradiction so <laughs> You know, I think you needed to be successful. I think it would have been fantastic if you're a successful person in the 60s. It was probably amazing, brilliant, you know. Well, this is, but like then, you said, this is the other extreme, isn't it? We've got two yeah. out-of-work actors, writers, performers at the heart mm. of this movie leading a desperate life, basically, <laughs> yeah. revolving around dole money, you know, the next dole check coming in. Mm. Because they're having no success whatsoever. Before we get into... The plot. There isn't a great deal of plot to this, by the way. It's a very mm -hmm. simple yeah. story, this one. Let's go into the background. It's a handmade production. We we love a handmade movie, as as listeners okay. will know. It's the fourth one we've done, I think. Yeah, probably. Let's have a think. Long Good Friday, Holy Grail, Life of Brian. And this one. And this one. We may have done one more. I can't remember. We've certainly done at least four. Yeah. 
having have Anthony. We done, have you done Mona Lisa? Sorry. No, we haven't done no, Mona yeah. Lisa or oh, Bellman and Trick. Time Bandits. We did Time Bandits. Bandits. Yeah. Having Anthony with us today is going to be very useful, being our resident Beatles expert and <laughs> mainly John Lennon, but obviously he takes an, an interest in all things George Harrison. Mm. So this is later handmade now. We're talking towards the end of the 80s because it was set up late 70s specifically for Life of Brian. Yeah. And and Dennis O'Brien and let me get this right because you probably know a little bit more than me. I've I've, I've just got the book Very Naughty Boys, the you know the story of the handmade thing. And I haven't even read it yet. But oh, Dennis yeah. O'Brien was in a, in essence he was the Python's manager, wasn't he? He was their business manager, but he was also yeah. business partner with Harrison on Handmade, is that right? Um I mean I I found I I read that it was business manager, I don't know. Yeah. Perhaps manager slash partner, I don't mm. know. Yeah. But you wanted to say something about the funding and how this was all how this all came about because it is towards you know the demise of handmade as we know it up to this point because it gets sold yeah. a couple of years after this and you know the whole system breaks down. But what, what what do we need to know about the funding of this? How did it all happen then, mate? I mean, Dennis O'Brien. We're talking about great quotes in the film. He had one of his own great quotes when he saw a bit of the film. He said uh, he found it about as funny as an orphanage on fire. <laughs> <laughs> which I, I think bruce robinson have been proud of that <laughs> in a dark way but um no i mean really all it was is that there's a subtext to this is that um dennis o'brien ended up screwing george out of uh i mean i read 12 million well okay. uh, you know you can argue the numbers but he screwed him out of a few million he would probably say he didn't screw him but he happened mm. to be an attorney so uh and I don't think George was always known as, um, you know, the Beatles always had to have these sort of, you know, the media wanted to tag them. So, mm. you know, and George was at various times the quiet Beatle, but after he wrote the song Taxman, he became the money Beatle. Yes. Just because he mentioned, because you, you know, probably know at this time that they were being charged a uh, 95% tax. Mm. I don't know if it was on all their earnings, but anyway, um, but I don't think George was actually particularly good with money, even though he was known for a bit of a penny pincher. Anyway, the sort of subtext to it is that the Beatles anthology, which came out in the 90s, uh, George's involvement, I mean, he may have already been persuaded to be involved, but the main involvement was that he'd been screwed out of all this money. So the sort of subtext is that that was one of the reasons, not to give Dennis O'Brien any credit for that, (laughs) but uh, it was one of the reasons the anthology was made. But uh, good quote though, Dennis O'Brien. Yeah, frightening. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, he, he was. I think he was. The, it was Dennis O'Brien who was the one that was tried to actually shut it down on the first day of filming, that's wasn't right. it? Yeah, that's um, right. Thinking that because obviously with the with the comedies, at least handmade films had, had done, um, which were particularly the the Pythons or the offshoots of the Pythons, like um, Time Bandits and stuff. The um, it was very much quotable comedy that was just basically a, a series of, of skits put together and this didn't fit with what he, he saw as being funny and what was what was a comedy film. Um, so yeah, that, that it, there was an attempt to shut it down right from the start because of his view not fitting with what... I mean, there's an argument whether it's meant it's not meant to be a comedy film as such, it's meant to be a, a film that, that's comedic, or the characters that are, can be yeah. comedic in it, but it's also it's it's um i think the what was the 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 line i heard it was description of it this is um this this is the story of of um the predicament of the festival in crisis which you know and uh, the comedy comes from 
from the characters in the situation rather than it being from a series of skits or actual just jokes. I think that's that's where there was the misunderstanding and why there was an attempt to to curtail it with with you know in opposition to what they usually did as comedy films from Handmade. So love them as we do a lot of Handmade films. I think they were you know they were wrong in their assessment of of what they should be doing with this film, and it's been proved that I think. It's certainly yes. got um got its audience in later life. We know that from the conversation we had, you know, before mm. we started. It's the opening scene. If, if you're not prepared for it, I mean, I can I can try and remember when I first watched it, and I'm like, okay, what are these characters? Why are they behaving so over the top? And then mm. you realise that they're, they're hungover, they're pissed, they're stoned, they're whatever, because you you've got. Richard E. Grant walking around in a coat, freezing cold, drinking the lighter fluid. That happens in the first five minutes, that famous scene of him drinking the lighter fluid. But then you've also got Paul McGann being very paranoid. And there's that line about his thumbs. You know, look at my thumbs, there's something wrong with it. And and you're thinking, "What, what, what are these people? Who are they? And it takes a little while to realize that they do have this acting background. They're not just... The young ones, you know, we we were used to the young ones at this point. That that was yeah. five six years previously that we'd seen Vivian and those got Vivian. That's a that's a good connection actually, isn't that? Yeah, actually, with yeah. Nail's first there's name. There's some more as well. We'll get to that <laughs> a bit later. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so we're used to this sort of like this squalid bedsit atmosphere, you know, but we don't know anything about them, and it becomes apparent. Okay, they're failed actors, or they're they're resting actors. They're whatever you may you know want to describe them. Mm. One, although, although mm. the Paul McGann character Marwood, as his his actual name is, who's uh, yeah. the I in the title, yeah, um, yeah. he could be mistaken um, really for being a, a bad John Lennon impersonator, really in some respects. <laughs> with the glasses, <laughs> yeah, with well, the glasses funny. and and the the Scouse accent and the hair, uh, really, well, there's a say- there's a certain look in there. Well, funny you say that because his brother Mark McGann actually played John Lennon in a stage musical, and and in a in a so bad it's good film called John and Yoko a Love Story. One yeah. of his seventeen brothers, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but no, didn't Paul McGann get rejected because of his accent? And yes. then he had to put on the southern accent, right? Yeah. I think Robinson didn't realise he was from Liverpool, and he said, "Well, no, I don't right. know. These guys are from the southeast. These guys are from London." Right. right. And then he asked Kenneth Branagh, I believe who turned it down or there was something that Kenneth Branagh didn't f- quite work is that right yeah there was a few that were in line um, although he'd given it to him first and then he, he retracted it and there was Kenneth Branagh uh, Bill Nye oh um, yeah Ed Tudor Paul I'm trying to think who else there was in the in the in the line oh um no and the other one that was an alternative casting which wasn't for for the Pomegranate character it was for Wivnell mm. um was Daniel Day-Lewis Oh, uh, that, that, yeah, I could mm, see that working, actually. Yeah. Dan Day-Lewis was quite different in those days. Yeah. yeah, That's around about the same time as My Beautiful Laundrette, isn't it? It's early Daniel Day-Lewis, isn't it, we're talking? Yeah, yeah that would have worked, I think. Yeah, but Edward Tudor-Pole would have been too similar to Richard E. Grant, I think, visually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, they're very similar looking. This is, am I right, this is Richard E. Grant's first movie? Both yeah. of them, it's their first... Um, <laughs> well, they... Richard E. Grant apparently had done had done a short film, mm. which wasn't released until after this. Mm. Um, but some some people in the industry had seen it, and um, but yeah, this was 
I think Paul McGann had done some bit part on television, um, but otherwise this was the, the debut in film for both of them. Yeah, and then Paul oh, McGann, yeah. around about this time, I think was the monocled mutineer, wasn't it? It was literally oh, yeah. sort of running in tandem with this on the BBC, I think. I remember that being screened and being quite a big event on the BBC. So can you guys remember your first viewing? I mean, for, for Anthony, it's it's you know, way back in the midst of time and he only watched it once, you know, so you had no intention of really going back to it. You've watched it. It's one of those situations that I have, you know, yeah, I've watched that, ticked it off my, off my list. Yeah. No great rush to see it again. Yeah. Can I tell you what I was expecting? Like, yeah. I they mean, want to focus on, you know, how, how it compares brief. now. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was a lot bleaker than I, than I remembered. Yeah. And maybe later on we we'll just talk briefly about like the colours they use and all, all mm. that technical stuff. But um, I'd, I'll be honest, I did get a bit, about two thirds of the way through, I was getting a bit, I don't know, frustrated because <laughs> what I envisaged, this is what I envisaged. I mean, I remembered the Campbell Cara, just yeah. for example. Mm. I didn't realise it was like right at the end of the film. <laughs> what, what I thought this film could have had, and this is just my suggestion, you could have had a scene where they maybe got drunk and maybe they had a joint and they kind of, there was some sort of reflective scene where you could kind of, you know, when, mm. when characters get reflective and you can kind of see what their history is. Yeah. Cause what, one thing I noticed, this is very weird. It seemed like, I mean, they both seem pissed off a lot of the time. They always seemed like when one was laughing, the other one was pissed off and vice versa. <laughs> I, I just felt, and it could be that if I watched it again a few more times, that, then my feelings would change, but mm. it was actually bleaker than I thought. I, th- I thought they might. I thought there was going to be like some element of Cheech and Chong about it. Not, I mean, not the whole oh, film. Oh right, I, okay, yeah. You know what I mean? Just like one scene or something. Yeah. It wasn't quite. You know, it wasn't quite what I was expecting. But no, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was great. Mm, for me, having not watched it that many times, for this particular viewing, I found it funnier than I remembered. A lot right. funnier, and I really enjoyed it this time around. Because again, it had been like, yeah, I've seen it a couple of times, and it's not. Like we said, we haven't fallen into the cult of Wiv now. It wasn't one that I was obsessing over, or I was never part of that, you know, going to the midnight screenings or hanging about with a group of people that were obsessed with it. But for Stephen, who's probably seen it more than all of us, and has probably watched it fairly recently before this one, I don't know. You know, what your viewing of it this time, mate, what was it like for you? This time around, yeah, I mean, it, it, because I've seen it, I have seen it more times. It, it, in one way, I, I didn't. Um, maybe give it the same attention as I would watching some other films we, we review. But on the other side, um, I was giving it more attention than the previous time. So I'd, I'd watched it or the previous time before that because I was um, I was actually watching it for review. So I was trying to sort of pick up on a, a, a few things. But mm. I mean, going back to the first time I ever watched it, was, you know, was decades ago, and um, it was via an ex-girlfriend who um, was a you know. Uh, a a withnail cultist um, for want of a better phrase (laughs) who um on video on on, Mm. on vhs pushing her drunkenly particularly one you know sort of obsessing over it and um that left me you know a few years before i actually went back to it because sometimes somebody's enthusiasm for a film can spill over and and help you in, enjoy it but sometimes it can actually uh It'll kill it make for you, you. Mm. yeah it can actually kill it for you mm. it can yeah. suffocate yeah suffocate yeah you. definitely yeah. that's yep. that's it i mean you know the you know the 
they they come out with a line and they're sort of looking at you, expecting you to laugh, and then come on, haven't you yeah. got it yet? Come on, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And that's that was exactly what it was. But um, you know, I, I it did come back to it, and um, I, I do appreciate it more. I think since the first time I watched it, and like Scott says, I think the hum for me the humour works in it best when I don't watch it too often. Yes, one of those films. I think that the, although there's the quotable lines that you can come from it, and you remember them as you go along, mm-hmm. I think. If you um, watch it too often, you basically they're too much out of out of context, and it does become a series of of just skits, which loses loses what it's about because yeah. it is a, a, a almost a stream of consciousness or just a stream, just a, a snapshot. We've said this before about some other films um, that the, the snapshots of of people's lives, and they're not about any big plot or or any big event as such happening. I mean, certainly. Going for a weekend in Penrith, Penrith isn't usually seen as being a, a, a life-changing event, anyway. <laughs> so, and I can say that because that's closer to me yeah, than it is, is to you. Geography-wise, yeah. um, I think that that's one of the things to try and appreciate out of it. That, like, like Anthony says, it's it is quite bleak. I mean, particularly that's one of the again going back to what Handmaid were trying to pick out. Though they weren't happy about the darkness of it, just not just in in tone, but also mm. in in particularly the way it was shot. Yeah. Um, you know the 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 mud and the grime and the squalor was very much picked up by the camera and and you know the the farmhouse bin that it was you know it hadn't been visited for for years and and was in the dark and they're by they're by lamplight rather than them yeah. what you often get in in films where there there's more light in a room than a, a simple oh, candle can yeah. project. This isn't nuns um, on this, the run, is it? Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> um, so so yeah, yeah. And this, I think, captures that. And it's it's you're referencing things like Cheech and Chong and stuff. I mean, this mm. is they're they're people um, sort of celebrating the the drug lifestyle and and um, a bit more. Whereas this is actually not necessarily having the message having a message in there as far as destructiveness of of this lifestyle, but certainly it is portraying the the, the self destruction that there is and the the codependence, but also mutual loathing um, mm. that there is between these two characters, which yeah. um, which is a darker element than you would get in in, in the buddy movies that you would norm that yeah. you get coming out of out of films um, of the state side, where they that's more their their theme. So I can see where it, it breaks with what you maybe were expecting in that respect, but. Go, go, sorry, go. No, I was just going to say, mm. but it's, it, as far as the viewings go, it certainly you know it is one that um, I think does does work through um, more spaced um, spaced viewing as far as time wise, rather than spaced viewing as far as drug intake. Mm. I was going to say I was spaced when I watched it the first time. That's probably that why you don't remember. Mm. <laughs> Another thing I was expecting maybe was a bit. I think I was expecting a bit more banter, but I don't think that's. A, I don't think it would have been better with that, but. There was that funny bit where um, Withnail's complaining about his family, and he goes, "Oh, my relatives don't like me being on spa- on stage." And Mar would say, "They must love the way your career's going." Then yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought yeah, there might be a cleverly. bit more of that, you know, <laughs> just a little bit more. And that's what made—I mean, we'll get to the ending later, obviously, mm. but that's what made the ending quite surprising in a way. The yeah. farewell—it was weird. Yeah, I'll tell you what I appreciated more this time round uh, was the character and the performance by Richard Griffiths. Yes. Oh my god! Before I'd sort of discounted Uncle Monty as just being a background character, mm. and I don't know. It's because you know 
Griffiths has passed away since I last watched it and is a bit more poignant. Um, it annoys me that he's always referred to as Harry Potter's Richard Griffiths. It should be mm, with yeah. nails, Richard Griffiths, as far as I'm concerned. And and I think <laughs> Marceau, then, just to chip in there, Marceau um, then being sort of portrayed as, or, or at least described as um, a, a background character or a side character, mm. I think there's often a, 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 or there has been a perception of him being a caricature as yeah. well, whereas there's more nuance to the performance than, oh, than a caricature. It came out so much, for want of a better phrase, it came out so much more in this this viewing of how fleshed out that character was. I mean, we all remember the lines about the butcher shop and weeping and, and mm. you know. and But if you watch the, the interaction when they first go to Monty's and you can see... Monty's background in the conversation they're having, and then Withnail himself starts um, elaborating on his successes on the stage, which obviously are lies, you know. Mm. And this time round, you know, do you know the whole thing about him finding greater love with vegetables, legumes rather than than plants yeah. and flowers? Yes, there's mm. a cauliflower in a bowl on the table. All, all round the, yeah. the room, they're, they are in, in basically um, flower vases. <laughs> and, and peppers growing in the hallway. And if you notice, but, yeah. at, the end of, at the end of the film, there's a there's a thank you to, like, Lewisham Vegetable Growing yes, yes. Society or, or something. <laughs> um, who's obviously provided these bits. And Incredible. Yeah, the, the, you see the... the that there's nuances to the characters. And, I mean, it, you know, beyond the lasciviousness and the chasing of the, of the cat, um, Again, brilliant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, the, you know, you can see the the way that there's the looks. There's the when he's drifting off and and basically um, talking to himself, and they're trying to steer him back onto what they want to talk about. And he's 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 talking about his life and things. You, you, it's worth actually paying attention to mm. that. Um, and there's some of the the lines he comes out with are some of the. Um, the 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 humour in there. I mean, I'm not, and I'm not just referring to the to the one that made me laugh this time round, which I'd never noticed before. When there was uh, some reference to um to looking him in the eyes, and because he famously had a wandering eye, um as as far as one of his eyes wasn't <laughs> pointing in the same direction as as the other. Um, oh. um that that that, that cruel, cruelly that made me um chuckle yes. where it perhaps shouldn't have done at the time but <laughs> right, um, right. no the, the the nuance performs for him absolutely in this and i think he i think in some ways uh, his character could have ended up being more of a caricature than he, he perhaps was and sometimes has been portrayed as and mm. um i think that's some people misreading that and and having a Having a less sympathetic view themselves is what's making them think that the, the film has a, a, a less sympathetic view to him, whereas I think it, it does actually portray that um, sympathy to him. Mm-hmm. And I think that there, there has been some small accusations here and there from certain quarters through the years about like the, the view of homosexuals in the, you know, portrayed in the film. I, I think that is missing the point, and I think it's also not really taking into account that it's set in the 60s and the the you know what was the the legal situation how you know how close that was to that changing been a different attitude anyway mm. um to what what we're modernly viewing out and you know same as we're modernly you know 
people aren't seemingly picking up on the fact that um, the black people in the film are referred to as spades. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there was an interview I saw with Bruce Robinson and they were talking and saying about the fact that, oh, well, that's just, you know, what we, what in the time, what we, you know, we referred to um, to black people as. We just, you know, um, and, and Rich D. Grant chips in and says, um, not where I grew up, in Swaziland we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he was born um, in Africa, wasn't he? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's it's you know, the attitude. The attitudes are being portrayed, but I don't think they are in any way. I don't think that they're, they're attacking anybody. Um, mm. I think that is it's wrong to to, to misread the film on that basis. Anthony, you were going to mention because you are Mister Prepared, as we always know. <laughs> Something to do with similarities. What does that mean? What are we talking about? Similarities. Similarities to other movies, characters, or yeah, yeah, but not similarities in terms of like what actually happens or anything. But just, I mean, you mentioned the young ones earlier, yeah, and that was that was obviously a reference point. But um, Bottom as well, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is obviously obviously a kind of an offshoot of the young ones but there are a few like specific things though because bottom i don't know if you know this but bottom was actually originally supposed to be a little bit more serious it was supposed to be a kind of waiting for godot kind of thing right mm. but then they, they did just, that as a player the pair of them didn't they? they exactly yeah but then they they obviously turned it into pure slapstick mm. and um but uh, in bottom the rick male character and a bit a bit in the young ones he He's very theatrical and he's he's spouting off about society in a kind of a general way, you know, mm. and that's very Richard E. Grant, and obviously the obviously the squalor as well, but uh, interestingly in bottom it's the other guy, the well I suppose you'd say the quieter guy Eddie, mm. who's the one who's always drinking bleach and you know brake fluid and things <laughs> like that. <laughs> isn't it a bottle of um, a bottle of chip fat? Isn't it a bottle of vegetable oil in the first one, if I remember rightly? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> There, there was that funny line, uh, what's he drinking? Lighter fluid, and then he drinks something else, and Marwell says, don't mix your drinks or something. <laughs> but he <laughs> yeah, says it so earnestly, doesn't he? Yeah, because yeah, he's, he's saying, um, he drinks drinks it, and, and obviously the, we know from the trivia that they the, the switched for, from rehearsal the water to for actually having vinegar in the actual right. um, lighter fluid thing, but it's, yeah... Um, but he's, he drinks that and then he, he refers to what's in Marwood's um, toolbox. Um, that, uh, Methylated spirits, in, wasn't it? Oh, it's, uh, yeah. no, it's antifreeze. That's it's what antifreeze, it's yeah. 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 Says, don't, don't be, you know, don't, don't be insane, man. And everybody thinks, you know, <laughs> you think, oh, that's because you shouldn't be drinking that. But as it turns out, he's talking about, don't, you know, don't be mixing your drinks. Some of the little asides, like Anthony's yeah. already mentioned, which are the, the bits that, if you've repeated watching catches the the references mm. rather than it being the the lines that are so much quoted mm. yeah there's a couple of other ones i mean i mean this film is nothing like fear and loathing in las vegas but there's a famous quote there from hunter s thompson talking about where the the place where the wave finally broke and rolled back and, and he's talking about the end of the 60s as well and I, I think, I think I was probably expecting, like I say, something more along, maybe not sort of the drug scenes of fear and loathing, but something along the lines where they were in, they were enjoying themselves for a while, and then it came to the end of the sixties. But you know, this is just the party's over from the beginning, really, isn't it? You know. <laughs> and the other one, the only other one was Easy Rider, in fact, because Stephen, you were talking about the line of this: we failed to paint it black. If you remember, the more or less the last line of Easy Rider is, "We blow it." Yes, you know it's a yeah. Peter Fonda and yeah, yeah. Dennis Hopper's like I don't understand what you're talking about and it's never really explained but it's mm. like we blew it somehow 
somehow we didn't take advantage of this. And also in uh, Easy Rider, they go into the, like the Redneck Bar with Jack Nicholson as well. They go into a cafe or something, and, uh, and they're making all these horrible the comments. <laughs> Which is the equivalent of going into a tea room in the north of England, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say the um, pub as well with the locals, yeah. Just sort of, and there's that, funny, there's that funny line, see if you can explain this. He says, uh, is it with Neil? So these angry locals are nothing like the H.E. Bates novel I've just... H.E. Bates novel I've just read where they drink cider and discuss butter. And would H.E. Bates <laughs> Why do they da- discuss butter? H.E. Bates wrote Darling Buds of May. Oh, yeah. right. Which is set on the farm, butter. isn't it? It's... it's, it's uh, um, Oh, perfect, isn't it? Pop, pop. What's his yeah. name? Larwood. Lar- Larkin. Larkin. Yeah, Larkin, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's the the sort of idealised, comfortable, sort of um, quirky but but acceptable, you know, lovable yeah. uh, country folks. Yeah. In in the country, <laughs> whereas you know these are, are, are more get off my land. Get off my land. <laughs> and close the gate. Um, having to wander around with a, a plastic bag on your legs so the bull doesn't inseminate you, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean this is this is it. It's, it's 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 the harsh reality more of the situation rather than a romanticised view, um, which I think is is a theme for the entire entire film. You know, both with the the substance um, taken and and you know the going out to the countryside and the life of being a jobbing actor and, and all sorts. I think all of this is is about um, a dream not being realised, and um, particularly then also the the parallel with the the dream of the sixties not being being realised. Do, do you think it would have been better with some more optimistic scenes, or do you think it's perfect like this? I think I it's better without the optimistic uh, the right, optimistic right. scenes. I think would right um, would dilute it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's a very, personal. very clever screenplay. As we say, there's, there's not a great deal of plot to this, but mm. what you get is laid out over an hour and a half. And as I say, I just appreciated it so much more this time around. It's mm. just magical. It's, it's a great movie. It's very clever. And it's very subtle. And I think I've missed a lot again. I've got to watch this again. I'll say I'm here. Yeah. I've I feel like so yeah, much. I'll go back um, to this was my best viewing of it. Uh, four or five viewings, whatever it is I've seen. Um, I appreciate it so much more. Can I just quickly go back, guys? You know, you're talking about the drink, mm. the drinking game. Mm. You, you know, being a cult classic, being a um, student movie or whatever. Th- there is a drinking game associated with this, as you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and I found a, a website that lists everything shot by shot. But can I just summarise exactly what Richard E. Grant drinks? throughout the movie <laughs> bearing in mind he's he, wasn't he allergic to alcohol yeah yes yeah he's, aller- he's allergic to alcohol and um they did persuade him to get to drunk some alcohol to, yeah. to experience you know to be able to experience what it was like being mm. drunk and um being hung over not that i felt it was you know necessary i think he plays an incredibly good drunk i think he's got oh, it down yes. down pat really oh yeah uh, somebody who's teetotal myself i can you know <laughs> I, I recognize drunk people um but um, yeah, they did persuade him, and he was afterwards told by the doctor that um, that was incredibly dangerous. Just having the two vodkas and the, mm. the glass of champagne, that he he <laughs> did well not to have, have, have died, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, um, so yeah. Well, if you want to play along at home, kids, right? Now, I like a drink, as you two know. And even I, looking at this list, I'm not going to read them out in order. You know, like a sip of red wine, a double teachers, whatever. The the totally drinks, if you're including 
a bottle of lighter fluid or vinegar if you want to substitute vinegar. <laughs> he drinks in the order of, wait for this, guys, nine and a half glasses of red wine. Now, if you're playing this along at home, you, you know, the nine and a half glasses of red wine, which is a bottle and a half, a pint of cider, a shot of lighter fluid, two and a half shots of gin, six glasses of sherry, 13 whiskies, and half a, <clears throat> and half a pint of ale. Now, they can imagine why students like this movie if they're playing the drinking game with it. And then there's also a Camberwell carrot if you want to really go. (laughs) Twelve skins. Um, The music. We don't normally Mm. dwell on the music in this, but when the titles came up, for the first time I noticed music by a guy called David Dundas. Mm. You two are a little bit younger than me. Do you know who David Dundas is? No. David Dundas. So he's the son of, of Mrs. Dundas. Oh, he's, he's more than that. Right. <laughs> For the kids of the 70s out there, David Dundas had a hit about 73, 74 called Jeans On. Oh, I'll play it now just to give you a bit of... Just, just so you know what, it, what I'm on about here. When I wake up in the morning light I pull on my jeans and I feel all right it was quite a big hit because it was used as an advert for Levi's or Brutus jeans. That's that's putting the age on it, Brutus jeans. And it was quite a big hit. I don't think it got to number one, it was certainly top ten. It was a massive hit in that summer of 73, 74, wherever it was. David Dundas was actually Lord Dundas, okay, um, through his parents. You know, he inherited the title. Um, he also wrote. Do you remember when Channel Four first started and it had that famous theme tune? With, with da, the f- da, 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 he wrote da. that. <laughs> oh. Probably made a lot of money as well. He probably does because they used that for years and years, and it was called the Four Score Suite or something. It was a whole piece of music, but those four notes were everywhere, weren't they? You know. Do you do you remember uh, Smash? That horrible mash. Yeah. That powdered mash. Yeah. The guy who came out before, mash gets Was it smashed, uh, the tremolos? Made, made a million pounds from that. It was, it was from the tremolos, wasn't he? Or or the Trogs or no. someone. Yeah, it was someone from a, grown, a 60s band. Oh, yeah. And he made okay. more money out of that than he did out of all their number ones. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm sure it's somebody from a famous 60s band. So the music is great as well. You know, it's, it's <laughs> I didn't notice it until this time probably because I had David Dundas in my head having spotted him in the credits at the beginning Mm. and it's quite effective I mean especially towards the end in that final scene leading into the final credits I mean we'll we'll talk about the final scene as we get towards the end of the review Stephen I need you to get the keys to the Hall of Fame because I'm wondering if there's anybody needs to be admitted today right Okay, Village Hall of Fame. Uh, is, is there anybody tapping on the door, mate? Well, we've got two um, tapping on the door, but I haven't actually um, won't let them in yet. Um, <laughs> and that's um, Mike Elphick, Elphick, which obviously oh. previously um, was in uh, Quadrophenia. Yes. Oh, yeah. And Jimmy's dad. Um, and then there's also um, second appearance from um, Dara O'Malley. I'll take it he's the Irish fella that 
It's the Irish fella who was um, most popularly known as as Sharp, Sean Bean's best, best mate in Sharp. Um, right. But he was also one of the the Irish um, people in the Long Good Friday. Ah, okay, okay, yeah. So, and uh, we've yep. got a we've got a fourth appearance from Joyce Everson, who is one of the ladies in the in the tea room. Um, who's been in a number of things before. <laughs> okay, um, and also in that tea room, we've got an eighth appearance from no. a guy called Fred Wood. So. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't have thought this this uh, sort of lower budget film from the late eighties. I would wasn't have expecting up. anybody. Yeah, but so Victor it. Harrington's not there. No? And Victor Harrington isn't there. Uh, the Madeline, Madeline Stone and <laughs> isn't there either. Now is the Hickson. Jeffrey um, Palmer. Victor Harrington. Stephen has decided is now known as the governor. Um, <laughs> Marianne Stone is the Duchess. The Duchess, yeah. bless her. The Hickson yeah, is the Hickson. The um, Cyril Chamberlain, we're not too sure, but he's snapping at the heels of, of Harrington at the moment. So um, Incredible that we've still got people coming in on with now. I wasn't expecting anybody. I mean, is George Harrison listed as producer? I don't think he is, is he, on this? I don't, no, probably, I don't uh, think so. Possibly. We wouldn't really include that but, anyway, um, would we? But, but yes, we've got the... yeah. Um, and I'm at, there are some of us that will possibly um, attain Village Hall of Fame mm. um, at some point because there's uh, some of the films. Uh, there's a couple of people who will be getting their second appearance from from uh, one of the films that we're reviewing in in, in the next few episodes. To be honest, ah, as well. So, okay. um, so we're you know we're still still letting them in. Um, the annex has been opened, <laughs> and um, now we. But there's only two in the waiting room currently. Okay, and while we're in the Hall of Fame, a little offshoot um, that Anthony probably wouldn't have that much knowledge of, unfortunately. But the Doctor Who relationships and, and links to this—I mean, I know them. I think there's there's a couple. There's, there's at least two, but I think there may be three. There's probably more actually, but there's three big ones. Um, Stephen, do you want to reveal them? Yeah. Well, obviously, uh, most importantly. Um, Armageddon was the the eighth Doctor. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of my favourite Doctors, as it happens, mm. even though he he did one terrible TV movie, um, <laughs> but and had a a short that was done around the anniversary, which I, I shows what they should have done originally yeah, with him as a good. character. That was good. Um, mm. But he um, the, he has been the, the, he basically kept the franchise alive through the Big Finish audio he dramas um, yeah. and still goes back and does it now and mm. seems to have a genuine appreciation for what it means to people that the character and and his performances as yeah. well so there's him and then um obviously uh, rich d grant was in a christmas episode um and then sort of reappeared in the following series as you know same character um but yes he was he was uh, appeared and also i believe richard e grant um did play in a non-canonical mm-hmm. um role as the doctor in um comic relief um oh there was that but though no, there was evening, also i think at some point as well there was no the um the cartoon thing on the internet there was the shalker he played the doctor after right. after paul mcgann uh th- that was canon briefly until it was rebooted uh and he's just since been designated you know on the sidelines as it were but he did play the doctor in this web series in a cartoon 
Um, but he was yes. a great intelligence. Well, so Richard Griffiths yeah. never actually appeared in Doctor Who. That was Richard that was Griffiths was considered for the role of the Doctor round about the Sylvester McCoy time. Right, which well, is the other a, connection. A link. That's why. Yeah. Means absolutely nothing to Anthony, unfortunately, um, for our, <laughs> our love for, for, for that programme. Well, of course, I didn't live in England for about 15 years, so that was one of the reasons. I wasn't on for about 15 <laughs> years, mate. <laughs> well, yeah. I know. No, I, I, was up, up to speed, yeah, I was up to speed up to about Sylvester McCoy, but it mm. must be ages ago. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah, we like to go back because there is a bit of a link. So I bet there's some other characters in, you know, that we. we... Actually, I think Ralph, um, I was going to say Ralph Bates. What's his name? Ralph Brown. Ralph Brown, I think, may have appeared in a Doctor. He was certainly wasn't he in Alien Three? Yes. And one the, of them again was, was basically one of them was I consider to be <coughs> I consider to be a British film. Um, it is David, David so Fincher and um, yeah. isn't them again in that as well? I'm sure it is. And and Brian. Stephen McGann, I think, might, might be. In it, yeah. I don't know. There's, yeah. But anyway, we could we could do these links and. and for, forever. Let, let, carry on with with now. I mean, mm. apart from the quotes, carry apart on, from the carry on, carry on with now. Carry on carry with on. now. There's the a, one they never made. Needs to be done. <laughs> carry on with now. Apart from the quotes and the obviously. Sorry, just to mm. interrupt there. That was one of the things that that they were trying to push with um, handmade. They were trying to make out that there should be more. Um, that the um, the character should be played more in a Charles Hawtrey type or Kenneth Williams type. That was what uh, they sorry. said, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, mm. uh, in order to to make the char- character more more camp and theatrical and and stuff and mm. um, snooty rather than the the dissolute character that was played brilliantly by Richard E. Grant. Um, mm. So yeah, sorry, sorry, I interrupted there. No, no, no. They also I think wanted Monty to be a bit more bit more camp as well from what I read yeah. but we don't want to go down the road of, of knocking out all these quotes and that but any favourite scenes before we get to the final scene I mean the, the bit with the chicken stands out for me um, <laughs> the whole Michael Elphick character you know I remembered him playing more of a part but he wasn't really in it. The, the farmer's wife or the, the farmer's mother is it his mother? Yes his mother yeah Again, I'd completely forgotten her. And even now, this is interesting as well. The the guy, talking about black characters as we were, the guy at the end, in, in the final scene, when they're smoking the Camberwell carrot, mm. he appeared in, in a fair few movies. I mean, I remember him from Raiders of the Lost Ark. On Raiders of the Lost Ark, yeah. where he's carrying the message, yeah. What's his character's name? He's got this really interesting name. Hang on, I'm trying to find it. Uh, I can't remember. Hang on, he's, he's got a, he's got a moniker, hasn't he? That's um, presuming Ed. Presuming Ed. Oh, now, why is he called yeah. presuming Ed? Well, it, 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 it's, <laughs> the Danny character. There's a, like everybody's got a, a, a some kind of name like that. There's you know, there's the coal man <laughs> and and all this kind of stuff. Everybody seems to have a, a yeah. Mm. It, it they all have, and it's not necessarily just a, a, a nickname, as in you know. Um, Bob the Spitter or, or something like that, but it's it's you know it's something that just makes you think what's that what's that about? But um, yeah, presuming presuming Ed, brilliant, yeah. absolutely brilliant. I mean, anything scene wise or, or you know you want to you want to bring up guys before we start winding this down a wee bit. I mean, we could go on forever with this movie, but standout so, scenes, standout. A couple of references that I think the linking references through through the film um, that I probably would 
would point out there's mm. there's a there's this thing with with the fact that Bruce Robinson himself had you know had, had been in a Fellini film and has commented about how Fellini attempted seduction of him because um, Fellini was famously gay mm. and um, oh I think it was Zeffirelli Zeffirelli it was. Yeah. Was it Zeffirelli? Sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, and Zeffirelli, yeah, and he, he, you know, there's a reference in there about um, the fact that Withnail loses out on a part to um, another actor, and it's and it's um, it, there's a reference to an Italian director and, and getting the part uh, well, through giving up his right. ass to him, and that's a, um, I think a, a bit of a, a parallel and a bit of a throwaway thing that unless you know the background on it, but I think there's also just as as a a symbolic thing to be don't normally get into the, the symbolicness of, of things in it but the whole conversation about hairdressers being employed by the government and the, uh, your hair is your hair is the tentacles to the cosmos and and mm-hmm. the, the pickup um yeah. vibes and, and and all this kind of stuff mm. and at the you know the the basically the end scene where Marwood you know does have his hair mm-hmm. cut um, yeah, is kind of the symbolicness of, of sort of the breaking with that that lifestyle and uh, yeah. moving on yeah. and leaving leaving with no be, behind in that sense. You know, spoilers. Mm-hmm. So that that was the only other things I, I particularly I wanted to um, to bring up. Um, I'm sure Anthony's got some some extras from his his oh, pin he's, board of, of he's of, going <laughs> to tell us about colours and spaces, I believe. Oh well, spaces, yeah. yeah. As far as scenes, I mean, uh, I'll be perfectly honest. There was a scene I was waiting for that never came. <laughs> cool. uh, but, but I think, I think to uh, to really appreciate this film, you have to tap into the bits that are not explained. That just stuff happens almost for no reason. You know, you've got mm. to be really tapped into that. And um, I did listen to some podcasts actually after I watched the film. Mm. Had a bit of a with nail day the other day because I did all the documentaries and all you know all the interviews and stuff. And they really heightened it for me, mm. actually listening to people talking about it. It was one of those ones. And uh, I listened to a couple of podcasts, and um, then I listened, started listening to these American guys, and they were just like, oh, I don't understand this movie. I don't understand why they did this or why they did that. And obviously the point is that you don't need to understand. But yeah. no, I mean, don't I'd... understand spreading deep heat all over your body to keep uh, warm. <laughs> yeah, no, they mentioned that. And they're going, oh, oh. It, was, it was spreading that shit over his body. Like, what was that? You know, they didn't know what it was. <laughs> Anyway, um, no, I mean, I do like the technical aspects. and it's a, it's a funny mixture of, there's lots of, like, enclosed spaces, like pubs and tea mm. rooms. And it's all very, like, the colours are very washed out. It's very grey, it's very bleak. And then you get, like, a few, like, vistas, if you want to call it, like when they go in the hills and everything. But uh, tight spaces generally are to do with characters being trapped in their lives. And I think that's definitely a theme. Like they, you know, I mean, with nails trapped in alcoholism, I would say. Um, I do like the line where Danny, they're talking about because what do you think with nails actually on apart from alcohol? It, you get the impression he could be on like something, some hard stuff. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, there, there is reference to them, you know, being um, you know speed and um, yeah, and, and amphetamines of, of different description and stuff. But, he seems to go way way beyond the point of enjoying it, doesn't he? Because when yeah. when he orders the quadruple, he goes, he doesn't say, "Oh, hello, my good man, a quadruple whiskey." It's just like I need it now, like you know. There wasn't a lot of joy in it. There's also the bit uh, with with Danny, isn't there, where he says, "I will give you the medicine like you've never had before." 
Oh, what's that famous line? And, yeah, go on. Oh, God, another quote I can't remember. <laughs> if I medicated you, yeah. you'd think a brain tumour was a birthday party. Or there something. we go, yeah. something like that. <laughs> but the, the the trapped element, you're absolutely right. I mean, the the you know the yeah. the traps in their lifestyle, the, the, which is is boxes within boxes of as far as trappedness, because the the trapped mm. in the interdependence, the trapped in the the self destruction, um, the, mm. the 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 drugs, um, the the poverty. Um, trapped to some extent within lies they're, they're telling other people and, and themselves about yeah, them, yeah. You know, their own lives. Uh, there's there's many layers to that that trappedness. It's certainly right that you know the colours are, are, are very British. I think they eventually realise they can't drink their way out of their problems forever. I think that's what we get towards mm. the end here. There's a sense of growing up. Almost. Certain people get to that stage eventually, don't they, Scott? <laughs> I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting, as you know. <laughs> but there's, there's a bit no, where Danny there's... says, "Why trust one drug and not another?" That's politics. Mm. When he, he offers him the carrot, and he's obviously yeah. on something else. Yeah. He's not going to mix with it anyway. Sorry. But there's on. no great epiphany, is there? There's no mm, sort no. of like you know they've been through this little adventure in rainy Cumbria for a weekend, and they've come back, and there's no like okay, is there a point where Paul McGann sort of says, "Right, I'm gonna." Do this now. I'm gonna. I'm putting all this behind me, and you know, cut my hair and become an adult now. Uh, take a bit of responsibility. There isn't that. Is that the sort of scene that you think was missing, Anthony? Possibly there was no enlightenment scene. And uh, no, no, I think I think what was missing was maybe just some sort of bonding scene, perhaps. You know, just yeah. a bit more fun. I thought it was going to be a bit more fun, but I see now from having watched all these documentaries, and you know, that, that there is lots of fun to be had. Mm. But it's almost fun in 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 their kind of bleak lives, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's but it is dependency as well, isn't fun. it? They are codependent as well. Mm. Yeah, you know, I see this all the time with the job that I do. That people are very dependent on others, uh, particularly those that are on benefits. You know, they're reliant on other people's mm. paydays. You know, it's going to be right. Yeah. Okay, well, I get my gyro on Thursday, so I'll get the booze. But you get paid next Thursday, so it's your turn. You know, it's it's that dependency on others, and that's quite evident here. Well, it's, you know, as I said, the, the the thing that you've said there about the spaces and, and colours and stuff, I did think you were going to go down the line of saying that all the colours were the wrong shape. But, um, <laughs> I will actually get that. <laughs> what? There's, um, Tony Hancock, from the, uh, rebel. the rebel, oh. he, he starts pretending to be something he's not as an artiste, uh, um, and he, he starts referring to the colours being the wrong shape and people are just oh, lapping no. it up, which is the opposite of what happens with, you know, to some extent with with Nail that he's, you know, people, I think he's he's portraying himself to be something grander than he is, and and with the exception of Uncle Monty, everybody else believes. Uh, nobody else sort of sees through it sort of thing when he's trying to say that they are film scouts um, in the tea room <laughs> there's nobody in that room that in, has a, any shadow of a doubt that he's blatantly not um, yeah. so and even you know even each other they don't believe they necessarily believe their own bullshit they're just um, keeping up a pretense that they they could make it if they just had the opportunity to do so and I suppose that's the epiphany moment of of Paul McGann's character taking that opportunity when it arises, but um, yeah, having, but to, what, having to leave with Nell to do it. But wasn't it just luck that he got that part? Did, did it come up randomly? Did I remember that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I, I was thinking at the end, I guess we could talk about the ending. But yeah, let's, let's talk about that. He, he kind of looks more like an 80s man, if you think. 
because the 70s, like, like we were saying earlier, the 60s didn't really end in 69. Yeah. There are plenty of people with long hair in the 70s, but it was really the 80s where the corporations took over. And so he almost looks like he's gone forward about 10 years, you know. <laughs> but definitely mm-hmm. symbolic, yeah, leaving behind of the life. But I, I think perhaps Marwood's probably not as addicted as Withnail was. Would you agree with that? I think, yeah, that? I think the, the idea that's portrayed by, you know, um, the Uncle Monty um, character saying that um, basically saying that, that Marwood is a bad influence on Withnell and well, <laughs> it's clear that it's the other way around yeah. I think that, yeah. that is maybe proven at the end where the one to walk away from it is, is Marwood mm. and as you say he cleaned up his act literally you know walking away with a suitcase um, rather than continue to be you know to be held into this um, spiral of decay really because they're both late twenties, coming into their thirties, aren't they? In in yeah, their... 20, with now at some point says he's twenty nine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So so they're not students. They're not kids. We know that that they've gone through. You know, adulthood. They should be growing up at this point. Am I mm. right in thinking the original ending, whether it be from the novel that was scripted or the original script, is very very dark? Oh yes. <laughs> Have you read this, what Stephen? As well, it's it's something to do with. He, he, he drinks a bottle of booze and then blows his head off with a shotgun. When he pours wine into the barrel of that was the it. shotgun mm. and then pulls the trigger while he's drinking the wine. So, mm. again, it's heavily symbolic, you know, that the drink is killing him, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, I think there's an element in this. I've read somewhere, and I can't find the article. I'm going to have to try and go and find back. Going back to David Dundas and the music, they wanted to keep some element of that within the movie. Obviously, it would have been a very, very dark ending. Although it is quite, you know, mm. I, I like that ending of him talking to the walls oh, and reciting Shakespeare. I love that. Mm. But apparently, I'm, I'm going to have to go back and find this article and go back and watch the end credits. They symbolically keep that blowing his head off bit in. If you listen, the music that's playing underneath while he's doing the Hamlet bit and all this, like, it goes into the credits and the music flows. And apparently the very last bit of the music is a banging drum as if it's a shotgun. Oh, interesting. All right. But there's no evidence of that on screen. Obviously, the credits are rolling at this point. I may be wrong, or it may have been the intention that that was what they were going to do, but the music ends with this banging great drum sound, as if it's a shot. Weird. Yeah. I've got to go back again. It's another reason for me to revisit this movie, because, yeah. you know, some of these documentaries that you've seen, Anthony, I watched a few of them and some of the makings of, and there's some great audio interviews with all of the cast this is one thing everybody in this cast is immensely proud of this movie i don't think anybody has turned away from this or come out of this movie going no i didn't enjoy that or it wasn't a great movie and they're all willing to talk about it you know um anniversary screenings they all get together at the bfi look at richard e grant doing this with stuff on youtube during the lockdown over the last couple of weeks he he's tapped into that audience perfectly he knows how loved this movie is yeah. and for me I think it was a case of wrong place wrong time originally I was I was past that student stage for me mm. and I watched it and just thought yeah great movie but I've really learned to appreciate it in the last couple of viewings particularly this one this most recent mm. one well I found I found the ending just really really poignant and mm. it was funny that it validated the whole film suddenly it was strange I must say it was strange that the bit where he says, I'll, I'll, I'll miss you, and I'll miss you too. Yeah. In a funny way, that didn't... I mean, there's so such sincerity. The way Richard E. Grant says, oh, I shall miss you too. 
he, suddenly, suddenly he's not performing. It's, just, it's almost like the one authentic thing he does in the whole film. <laughs> and it, it really threw me, but it, it kind of, that plus watching all these documentaries, listening to a couple of good podcasts about it, it really has made me want to go back. And I probably won't go back immediately because weirdly, when I was young, I used to repeat view things like just ridiculously. But I don't do that so much anymore. But I'll, I'll leave it a bit, but I'll definitely be watching it again, 100%. And I think that I think that's the right way to go to it. I think that recognizing there is more to it, but not having to sort of obsessively delve over it to try yeah. and try and uncover that, because I think it benefits from that that gap being um, had as, as both of you have, have experienced. And as you say, that the the authenticity um, of the character towards the end, actually, rather than the the vitriol and and the the performance of right at the end when he's you know he's, he's almost in tears at you know but trying to mm. put on a smile um to, to say goodbye um to him and walking him to the stuff it's it is it is like a lover leaving mm. somebody and that's that as, as we said the codependency um yeah it, it 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 puts a context on their relationship that I think is is worth recognising, and it's not just a. This is not just a film that is a, a series of of great lines. I mean, it's, it's incredibly well scripted. I mean, you know, that's that's. Is yeah. it? Is uh, it Robinson says himself that it you know a fantastic script that was uh, terribly shot. Um, uh-huh. I don't really necessarily agree with that second bit because I think it captures it exactly as it should do. It's, it looks like, it looks like it. it captures the the dirty 60s like that you know it mm. doesn't seem like a film that was made in the 80s it mm. doesn't come across as you know um, yeah, as even, as even the motorway in the late 80s even the motorway the cars you know incredible that you know they didn't get a shot of any modern day cars driving down that motorway I know yeah that, there is a bit uh, though where they drive past an m25 sign i did see that, that, was, that was, uh, yeah i had to go back and double check on that but they filmed a lot of the um the, the scenes with the Jag driving around London early on a Sunday morning, and I think they did get pulled over at one point because if you look at the state of that car, it's actually like a real road hazard. But yeah. do you guys think that it's significant that it depicts the end of a friendship um, and the setting is the end of the 60s? Is there any significance to that, do you think? Oh, yeah. Do you think? I think, I think it's, it's, it's just as much as it's about the... the the claustrophobia and the um, the the trappedness. Um, it's about actually um, escaping that trap, and also being that the to some extent the mentality of the sixties of the you know you never had it so good, and this is when you can just live the life you want to live. Mm. Um, was yeah. was at least ending for one of them. Um, the sort of that growing up reality and and making a break. Uh, making a break because they've actually got a break, as it were. Yeah. The more you think about it, though, I mean, even I mean, there is there is actually a documentary on on YouTube called "I Hate the Sixties," and it, it's obviously very biased. It's it's sort of lots of curmudgeons talking about how shit it was, <laughs> but but you know, it's useful to see that there were negative aspects, and of course, that was you know the prefab was that the prefab housing and the and the the rise of the tower blocks, yeah, literally the rise of the tower blocks. Yeah, yeah. I don't even think socially. I just think there was um it was the decade where you know you were allowed to first make fun of the establishment you know with satire and then actually attack them you know and John Lennon was a part of that as, as you know I'm only saying that because I obviously spend a lot of time with John Lennon <laughs> in my podcast but 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, where did he go at the end? Was it was it up north? Where did uh, where did Marwood go for the role? Stephen, I've got no idea. Where was it? Was he going a long way away? I, I don't think he necessarily. I, I don't remember that he was. My my perception always was that he he needed to 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 go away more than just uh, commuting distance for the, the the gig, but he was taking this opportunity to to leave for good. Mm. Um, All right. Did they mention Manchester or something? Shall they mention Manchester? I can't remember. Well. Could be. Mm. Uh, Could yeah. be, yeah. But do you think it was the end of their friend? Would they see each other again? Or, or why wouldn't they N- see each other again? I, I think that would be the 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 end of it. I mean, oh, I the fact that, right. mm. that he said about, said about um, somebody coming to collect the remainder of his stuff rather than he'd be That's back right. to collect the remainder of his stuff, yeah. I think it'd be necessary, at least for a certain period of time, it'd be necessary for them to, um, for at least for the Marwood character to to keep his distance and not get dragged mm. back into that. Because you get the feeling that maybe Richard E. Grant, uh, does he ring up his agent or something? He is trying to get parts, isn't he? Because, you know, I suppose he could could get a part or something. Or there's there's maybe, mention maybe of him having an trying. audition at some point during the film. I know he definitely has this audition. Oh, yeah. Um, right. yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely the end, I think. The end of the friendship. That is it. Yeah, and not surprisingly, there was talk because um, I saw these interviews with Bruce Robinson and a few other people. There was talk of a reunion. Um, I, you know what I'd like is maybe not a sequel, but I, I'd, perhaps it's a bit too been too long now. But mm. something like a sort of ten minute thing, you know, like they meet and there's a ten minute short film and they just talk or something. I don't know. Or would that spoil like the, it? Like the the sort of come across each other on a. Either yeah. on the, in the street or, or maybe even on, on the set of something over where um, yeah. Marwood is actually starring in the film and 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 um, with Nell as 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 playing you know um, the um, extra the extra yeah. the, the the passerby number two. Do you know two. what? I no. think he'd, he'd be long dead by then. To be honest. Well, this is well, it. That's <laughs> the other thing they speculated about. They reckon he wouldn't have lasted long. Cause, no. I mean not without yeah. him you know the dependency thing that we, we yeah not about. without yeah yeah plus i mean you know joking aside quadruple whatever oh i'll have a quadruple whiskey and two whatever two pints yeah, or whatever that, that dependency would be transferred to monty i think yeah he would yeah. he would be relying on monty for handouts and raiding his booze cabinet his sherry bottle I... <laughs> Because I wasn't sure. This is another bottom thing. I know bottom is not to be taken seriously at yeah. all, but in bottom, I think the Richie character, Rick Mail, is supposed to be rich, and that's how they actually managed to sustain their lives. Because so is is Richard E. Grant's co- is with Nail supposed to be getting money from his family, or are they just relying on Dole? Do we do we know? That? No, no, he's, yeah, he's he's signing on, but I think every now and again he'll he'll turn to Uncle Monty. Is that right? I oh, think? Uncle Monty, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. I mean, I think the, in bottom, uh, my. I'm not an expert on it. They'd have to um, <laughs> ask my my former co-host Smokey because yes, he's, yeah. he's he's very much an expert on <laughs> on um, on that. My understanding was that there'd been some kind of um, inheritance that, oh, uh, that, it, yeah. that and that, but they were still then um, sort of more or less poverty line because they'd basically blown it. So it's so got... he comes so he comes from a, a, a more wealthy background that no longer that now is impoverished. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he has the asp- he has the, the the aspirations of and uh, the outlook of somebody with money, but without the um, the ability. It's almost like um, it's it said in the in in Wivnell and I that you know was it free 
free to the rich and and uh, free to the rich and and far too expensive for the for the poor or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's 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 almost that sort of mentality. But yeah, I think I agree with Scott that he probably uh, he's, he's a he lives on the dole, but he he relies upon handouts. But he's got to be careful about going to handouts all the time yeah. since he's trying to keep up this idea that he is actually successful yeah. as an actor. Delusions of grandeur, yeah. And that's what he does. Do he, there's that bit when they go to Monty's house and he's regaling these stories of these thespian successes that he never really had. Mm. But Monty, you know, sort of just takes it all in or, or whatever, whether he chooses to believe him or not, I'm not too sure. But Well, the level of disguise that he has to to his, his actions with Monty is, is such that even when Monty leaves the room, rather than just help himself to another glass of something over, he actually just takes the bottle and drinks a load out of the bottle quickly. Before, <laughs> yeah. So he doesn't see that he's refilled his glass. He won't realise that he's actually been drinking more there than he, than he would would have done. Um, it's that kind of hiding of, of the reality. Um, that, I mean, you, you maybe suspect that, that Monty might actually be more aware and, and actually realise he's not that successful, especially about looking at him, but who knows? <laughs> if you do like this film, you should go back to Bottom, actually. It's really... I'm, I'm not going to say it's got, like, uh, hidden depths or anything, but it's very... I mean, Rick Mayer and Adrian Emerson uh, were very, very good. Oh, know? yes, yeah, big fan. Do you remember what their phone number was? No. 444 four, 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 four. <laughs> <laughs> He used to say it when he picked up the phone. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, back. I think the, I think the, there was an area code in this. Yeah, and I think the the your, your transition from you know the, what you're talking about the the similarities with the young ones and the bottom and and, yeah. and this you've also got in the in the mix the the, the lesser known and appreciated um, filthy rich and cat flap. Oh uh, yeah. Which, with they they are sort of um, from the acting fraternity as well, really. Um, in some, or at least in the performing. Um, arts in some respects there so um so yeah there are certainly links and i i, I can i know of the 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 waiting for godot and and stuff that rick merle and Ed, Ed edmondson did do and so that you know part of me wishes that they had actually done bottom done a a, a, a ser- you know the series like that instead of doing you know the sort of more dark sort of ponderous element rather than the um the slapstick but um, I mean, I can enjoy Bottom when I say it. I'm just not obsessive about it, like, you know. Like some, no. Uh, no, I mean, I would... Uh, they made three series. The third series is horrendous. They, they just they get progressively worse, and the stage shows are just awful. I mean, I'm sure they're funny if you go and watch them. I think, I think the stage shows are funny for the... For, I think the stage, for, stage shows yeah. are funny for, for them breaking character. Or, yeah, um, yeah, that was rather the, best than the actual mm. Rather than the actual... Yeah. They're, they're doing, and... and um, I I wouldn't expect us to be getting any time round soon to be doing um, guest house parody so on on, <laughs> on, on the, the this podcast. But as far yeah. as what we are, you know, what we have have reviewed. I mean, can I just say it's, it's Smokey has asked to review it on the show with me. Doesn't surprise me. It doesn't doesn't surprise me because yeah, I know I, he's, he's he's a big fan of. He is a know. massive fan. Um, yes, I think um, I think in summation, what we need to do is just get Anthony's final thoughts as somebody that okay. that watched it, you know, twenty thirty years ago, mm. never gone back to it, and has gone back to it with those adult eyes again, as we've mentioned previously, and by the sound of it, has taken a lot more away from it than he was really expecting to. I mean, Stephen and me, we, we, we could 
we could say, right, yep, Steve would say, seek out this film wherever, it's, it's a classic, blah, blah, blah. I would say it's a five-star movie. We, we've got that read. Mm. We, we know that's going to happen if we, we were to summarise this, movie, uh, summarize this mm-hmm. movie. Let's just finalise our thoughts by getting Anthony's, I think, as, as somebody that has gone back to it and has been pleasantly surprised, I think. Okay. Um, the only bit we didn't mention, I wanted to mention, was just the music, those two Jimi Hendrix songs. And just the fact you could put almost anything to all along the Watchtower and Voodoo Child and it would be good. Do but, you know uh, the um, the estate oh, yes. the estate took control of that afterwards? Oh, uh, yeah, I did see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they didn't like the fact that Hendrix music was being used for anything drug-related. So they, they Oh, really? Yeah, oh. yeah. Because so <laughs> Jimmy never touched anything. <laughs> no, so they, they, they reeled in the control of the back catalogue after this movie because of it. Wow, interesting. Mm. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have too much sympathy with his father because his father proceeded to then bring out everything Jimi Hendrix yes, ever did, did. Yes. even horrible jams when he was clearly too high to play. Yeah. Yeah, it's mm. really shameless what they've done there. Anyway, sorry. Mm. Um, I think my appreciation for the film actually came very in the last scene and then all this post-film stuff, the podcasts and the documentaries. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna. If you wanted a ranking, I'd I'd go four star for now. It could go up. I don't know. I'm mm. Not sure, but I I will go back to it at some point in the future. Yeah. And then Stephen, so, as we say, you're going to just tell everybody to watch this movie as and when they can. Yeah, I I think they should search it out because I think um it for two reasons. One, I, you know, I think that there are more people who would enjoy it than think would they would, but also I think that it because of its status. As a as a film, it would help, um, particularly over in here in the UK. That I think it would would help you sometimes get some of the reference that people around you might make, um, mm. rather than thinking what they talk <laughs> about. Um, so um, so it's it's one that I would advise people to, to search out. If you don't like it, you don't like it. But I think a lot of people would would enjoy it more I, than I, I think. Yeah, I don't think people should be put off by the fact that it's seen as a cult movie. I mean, we no. we had this extended conversation at the beginning of the show. What people think cult movies are and to be honest mm. a lot of them we would watch those 25 we would we would have watched three quarters of those anyway mm. and yes it's quotable but only if you've lived through that quotable period of your life where you've watched it with friends and it's become this audience participation type thing watching yeah. it you know i've watched it pretty much on my own every single viewing i don't think i've watched it with anybody sitting next to me and we've never had that bond and yeah. I, I would just say people who have been sort of put off by, oh, no, it's that, that quirky British movie from the late 80s. Give it a go because it is very clever. And Richard Griffiths is absolutely superb in this. Everybody is superb in this. Mm. Okay, talking of Richard Griffiths, as he, as he said in the movie, my boys, my boys, we're at the end of an age. <laughs> we're going to take a break because I believe it's Anthony's turn to select the next movie we'll be back after this we'll be back after this do you like vegetables I've always been fond of root crops but I only started to grow last summer I happen to think the cauliflower more beautiful than the rose chin chin do you grow geraniums oh you little traitors I think the carrot infinitely more fascinating than the geranium hmm the carrot has mystery. Flowers are essentially tarts. Prostitutes for the bees. Mm. There is, you will agree, a certain je ne sais quoi, un very special about a firm young carrot. Mm. Excuse me. 
Do help yourselves another drink. That's all this. The man's mad. Eccentric. Eccentric is insane. Not only that, he's a raving homosexual. How dare you, you little thug! How dare you! Beastly, ungrateful little swine! So, Stephen Anthony, that was with Nail and I. Fantastic conversation, as usual. Now, I believe that was your your selection, Stephen, wasn't it, this time round? It was, and I think it should be somebody else's turn next. I think we ought to pass it over to Anthony for the next time the three of us are together, because we've got things lined up for just ourselves, Stephen, haven't we? So... Mm-hmm. When shall we three meet again, as, as the bard said? <laughs> yeah, mm. So, what you got lined up for us, mate? All right. Well, I didn't prepare this in advance, so I did a, did a quick Google of British films, but oh, this is one of my all-time favourites. Okay. This has a kind of a European feel. This is The Third Man from 1949. Uh, it is a British film. I did check that. <laughs> uh, obviously, it's set in Vienna. And uh, I think it was a joint production. It was a Selznick in the USA and then British Lion in the UK. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, there'll definitely be a couple of people in the Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Um, we, were saving, draw... we were saving it for episode 100 as it being the biggest British movie, but I can't think really? of any reason why we shouldn't sit down and chat about it with you, mate. Yeah. 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 Don't mind. I'm, sure. I'm quite happy to, to, to break with that. And yeah. this is. I completely agree. Yeah, if, yeah. if we were gonna if we were gonna break without this, is perhaps the only reason to do so. Yeah, so that's okay. fine. So we're talking um, Awesome Wells, Joseph Cotton. Yeah, Carol, I mean the Carol killer Reed. combination mm. from Citizen Kane. I mean Joseph yeah. Cotton's a great actor, done some Hitchcock, as you know. Yeah, um, Awesome Wells has that kind of slightly Brando-esque appeal, just as Brando appeared at the end of Apocalypse Now and arguably <laughs> stole it. Orson appears somewhere towards the end of this. And One of the most famous scenes in British history, isn't it? Coming through the shadows there, you know, and the, the sewer oh, chase sure. and, and Vienna. It's it's one of those ones where people go, well, it's not really a British movie. It is a British mm. movie. We we had the, this discussion with Lolita, didn't we, guys? And, and mm. I think quite rightly, it, it needs to be brought to the table. We need to rethink episode 100, obviously. <laughs> but we'll, oh, sorry about that. No, no, no. As I say, I'd, I'd, I'd like... Sorry, we've still got nuns on the run. Well, my bubbling under was a fish called Wanda, which probably would have been more fun, to be honest. No, honestly, we'll save that, we'll save that for episode 100, possibly. Okay. I'm looking forward to that, Stephen. I think that's a, a good selection, yeah. mate. Yeah. 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 I mean, the music just blows me away. I just love love that theme. The old zither. The zither. Mm. Yeah. I've got some zither on one of my songs, actually. <laughs> well, oh, perhaps we might play it on the um, on the episode. It's not the main instrument of the song, though. It's buried a bit, but yeah. If you want to, yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Fantastic. Guys, thank you for being here again on a Saturday afternoon. Thoroughly enjoyed that. I mean, we could probably do another two hours because we didn't really dip into the plot or because I think people are familiar with the film. There was no need for us to do the quotes and to do the plot Mm. as soon as the plot was, as we said. So perfect conversation, perfect couple of hours there, guys. Thank you very much indeed. Anthony, quick promotion of the podcast towards the end. Oh, yes. Yeah, Glass Onion on John Lennon, 
Um, obviously, John Lennon has been talked about and written about a lot, but uh, it's a deep dive and uh, going into some areas that other podcasts don't, such as the assassination and drugs and things like that. And mm-hmm. yes, you've been on it, Scott. Uh, mm. Had a couple of the Quarrymen that John Lennon was in a band with as a teenager. We've got some authors. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, trying to do something different, I think. And uh, I tend to put a lot of audio clips, which have become sort of my gimmick, if you like, because mm. I get a lot of messages saying that they like listeners like that so uh, Claim, yeah, claiming the copyright <laughs> a lot of message claiming the copyright on them <laughs> oh yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no it's a fantastic show as i say and i'm not saying that because i've been on there three four times now anthony is is a fantastic guest on this show and a fantastic host on his own so please seek that out glass onion on john lennon and if i just for you sir if i found a film that perhaps the three of us could talk about what do you think yeah, Beatles related. Well, I think so, didn't you, Stephen? I think a little reunion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, we haven't covered Hard Day's Night, Help, Yellow Submarine, yeah. any of them. Magical Mystery Tour. Yeah, we haven't covered that. See, that would be worth doing, even even yeah. as a Christmas special because it was shown on Boxing Day, wasn't it? Sixty-seven. Well, mag- yeah, or well, Magical Mystery Tour. That would be Shades of How I Won the War. Definitely. Yeah. I, <laughs> if I Stephen think... watched that, you definitely remember it. But that's only fifty <laughs> minutes. That's I think fine. I'll go for one of the full-length films. I think. Yeah, we will certainly get something. <laughs> that we could all do together on your show, mate. That'd be brilliant. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. I think it is even, even a film that's 50 minutes long, we probably would talk for more than 50 minutes about it. Yeah. Anthony <laughs> would have four hours of notes anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, John Lennon, I don't need no to. It's string. already up there. <laughs> Guys, thanks for being there. See you both very, very soon. Take care. See you later. See you later. Take care. Absolute shah. A positive shah. Good luck. Thank you. Hand up, sir.